Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Great America Show, and thanks for being with us here where truth, justice, and the American way are celebrated each and every day. And each day, it seems, brings more mad developments and events all across our world and across this great country of ours. Today, it's Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, who says he sees a rising possibility of what he calls, quote, significant international conflict. He's describing what would be called by less pompous speakers a world war. Milley has learned nothing. He wants the USA to be the great protectors of Europe. He now wants to create permanent bases in Europe. And he is the president's chief military advisor. So we should all be concerned. General Milley is on the loose and clearly without adequate foresight or judgment, in my opinion. And he is whispering in the ear of a man who I doubt can process the finer points of Milley's mad prognostication. It seems we are deeply engaged in both interesting times and times that try our souls. And for such times, just occasionally, it's good to pause and think about what is unfolding around us. Good to test our perspective on it all. So I wanted to invite as a guest today someone who deals with all of this and has lived his life in the arena, whether serving in the U.S. Navy, working as an investment banker, Hollywood producer, co-founder of Breitbart News, documentary director and producer, and CEO of the 2016 Trump presidential campaign, who later served as President Trump's chief strategist and senior counselor to the president. And now you see him daily on television, you hear him on radio, and watch him on his podcast everywhere. The fiery, combative, intellectual warrior of the right, the host of the popular Steve Bannon's War Room. Steve Bannon, great to have you with us. I think I've watched you for, what, 30 years, 40 years from the 1980s. And Lou, I got to tell you, you know, I worked with Andrew Breitbart at uh, at Breitbart then before he passed away, then ran it, and then... uh, have done this for a couple of years uh, after leaving the White House. And Lou, I was talking to the staff the other day. There, there are a dozen major stories and major things that we need to talk about every day we can't even get to. I've never seen a news cycle like this, and it seems like it's picking up at an excel. It's accelerating at an accelerating pace, and that's why I think I love your show so much. I think you're needed more than ever. In the war when we try to try to get it done, but we've expanded another. We've added a fourth hour because we had to just to deal with some of the nitty gritty politics we want to do. But I've, I've never seen it like this. But here's the thing I could tell you is that I've also never seen people that just want information. They, they don't want to be told. They want to be shown and they want mm-hmm. to come to their own conclusions. So I think we're in a, a very unique time in, in the country's history and, and actually in the news business where, you know, people, your, your old, your old, uh, your, your old hangout. I was reading, I was talking to some Wall Street guys about CNN plus, which didn't exactly have a have a bang up launch on the streaming service, and somebody said, you know, they're, they're so far under numbers on the pay server on the free. Why would why would somebody then you know on the on the cable package? Why would somebody pay? But 
I think it shows you where you get where you get great content and you can provide a service to people. There's a there's a unlimited appetite for this now. But boy, we could do six hours a day and not get to everything. Well, you know, I, I think you're exactly right, and I also think. Uh, that you're right about CNN uh, plus or minus uh, any part of their portfolio over there. This is a, this is a brand that has been severely damaged over the years. Uh, They are, they are peddling stories and, and propaganda uh, that are decidedly, uh, decidedly uh, not in the interest of the, the viewer, because there's no truth. There's, there's literally a, a disconnect that they bring to the entire idea of journalism, uh, CNN style. And that is, they have a narrative that they hatch in the morning and they carry through 24 hours of programming. And, and that's just, uh, it's stunning to me that they have gotten away with it. They've had the lowest audiences in, in, in throughout the past decade and still can get enough money from the corporate elites, the one-worlders running Wall Street, uh, Madison Avenue, uh, and corporate America. They'll keep them afloat no matter what because they're carrying the, t- the corporate tune, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And here's what's interesting, you know, because I watch, I consume a lot of MSNBC and a lot of CNN just for this job because we really try to break those shows down and, and the information warfare. You know, back when you were there, and look, Ted Turner obviously was a, was a liberal from the South, and, and the thing mm-hmm. always had a liberal bent, but they had shows like yours that gave it to you straight. And, and it, it, did, it had some really great news gatherers and, and people that are really, really just reporting the news, not what it became. And here's what's interesting. You can tell with John Malone getting involved, getting involved here <laughs> in the hand of Malone, as you know, uh, as you know, uh, Lou, uh, they don't have those large muscles. I, I see them now trying to do the coverage from Ukraine and from around the world. It's not the same place. They've hollowed out the news gathering capability. And so they've, they've gone to so hardcore opinion that when they do want to go back to news and they're telling everybody, they just don't. Those muscles have atrophied. I think they really have to rebuild the entire thing. I think CNN has a long haul in front of it because they got so far well, off of turning just to a hate Trump network. It is. And without Trump to hate on daily, hourly, uh, they really are uh, at, at sea at, at a loss as to what to do uh, with their air uh, unless it's to propagandize MSNBC. Uh, is also uh, a sort of a mutant relative uh, of CNN. Uh, except it has no pretense whatsoever that it's covering news. Uh, and it just goes full on left-wing Marxist uh, prattle. Uh, it doesn't rise to the level of ideology. It's just prattle. Uh, and it's stunning that Comcast and the owner uh, of CNN, uh, AT&T, soon to be Discovery, are giving such a, a strong signal that this is what they want on the air. They they must understand in that boardroom that this is a disservice. Uh, it's a breach of fiduciary duty because Lord knows what they could do with that uh, those properties if they would just do the honorable thing, which is report the news. I think honorable and profitable. I think look, NSNBC I think is too far gone. And you know the Roberts these guys have have very specific ideas of the propaganda they want to put out, and it's really all opinion. A CNN, I, I believe John Malone. And Zaslov's look is a, is a progressive too, but I think John Malone mm-hmm. is going to demand some changes. Uh, and I, I think we got to start holding corporate America accountable 
for the advertising they're doing on there. I mean, if you're going to you know, the, the sleeping giants always want to come to Breitbart or come to War Room or come to Blue Dobbs. And if you have a sponsor, if you're selling ads, they want to go through and say, oh, you're terrible. You're on these shows. You got to be taken off. I think the right has got to start demanding that corporate America be held accountable for the advertising dollars. You know, I, I read uh, yesterday, I think in the journal that, that CNN threw off a billion dollars of cash flow. And I can't believe that unless the production cost is cheaper than I think. But that's all corporate money. I mean, that's just corporate sponsorship. That's they're 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 sponsoring anti-maga, anti-America first, uh, anti-American uh, manufacturing, anti-middle class, really, uh, economic and, and cultural policy. So I think eventually people have to be held accountable for this. Well, I, I could again, I couldn't agree more. And it's it really does resonate with some of the advertising that you're saying, particularly during the Final Four. Buick puts up an ad talking about you didn't see this sporting event, uh, this woman's sporting event, uh, and uh, and another, and they've got the screen dark just with font over, uh, talking about how outrageous it is that uh, men athletes are covered and that uh, women who comprise 40% of the uh, of the NCAA only get 10% of the coverage. These people are blind, deaf, and dumb uh, and do not understand how markets work. If there's an audience, they will they will gladly turn that time over because that's what they're paid to do. Except in the instance in which you just mentioned, corporate sponsorship rather than corporate advertising. They're driving a program. They're driving CRT, ESG, all of these Marxist ideas now that companies are having to double the size of their HR departments to keep up with the, uh, the doctrine of the day, the, the demands of ideology within the corporate structure. Uh, and, and to see it spill out over the airwaves as we have is really revolting. It's, uh, well, it's just awful. And it's, well, listen, and we're in for more of it, I'm afraid, rather than less. Well, that, that's one of the points I had Cortez on the day. We didn't have a, a time to fully develop this, but you, I know you've talked about it for years and call people out by name. Look, we used to have a, a, a FTC and others that, that really enforced, you know, the anti-monopoly laws. We, we've gotten away from that. And I think these companies are just, they're too big and too powerful. We've had too much of a concentration of power. We need, really need, I think, Teddy Roosevelt and some trust busters, particularly not just in the media side, which these conglomerates are just, they stagger me about how, you know, the market caps of 60, 70, 80, 90 billion dollars and the ability to really do information warfare that are really held unchecked. Also, the corporate power, the concentration of these industries, and particularly as Cortez and I are getting into asset management, where you have a BlackRock is, has $10 trillion on the management. And Larry Fink becomes one of the most powerful guys in the country. That's not what the founders had in mind. In fact, Jefferson and Hamilton used to get in these huge fights about the concentration of financial power and how close to government power. I mean, it was the whole reason the deal was cut to move the capital from New York City. As you know, Lou, being a, a Wall Street guy, you, that statue of, of George Washington is where he took his first oath of office right there, right across from the stock exchange. And so, you know, that concentration of economic, financial and political power all in one place, you know, Jefferson from day one said that's just going to lead to all types of corruption. And so today, I think you're seeing the same thing. You see, you've got this, uh, this concentration of, you got this concentration of, of, of power personified by the asset managers. Yeah, and, uh, and James Madison 
uh, writing eloquently and forcefully uh, in, in the Federalist Papers, also uh, moving to, to put this forward as a foundational uh, issue that about which there has to be great skepticism and a committed, a committed uh, effort to rid uh, government and our political system of uh, these uh, partisans uh, and factions or else the result will be what we have today. Uh, and speaking of those factions, I, we, we are being blessed once again by uh, Murkowski and Romney, two of the Senate lions. Uh, this uh, this twosome has decided that uh, uh, Judge Jackson is just eminently qualified to sit on the Supreme Court, irrespective of her views on uh, child uh, uh, pornography, pedophilia, uh, and a stunning record of being soft on crime and the vilest kind of crime, crimes against children. Your thoughts? Well, look, I think, you know, the, she went to the finest institutions in the, in the, in the, in the educational institutions in the country. She went to Harvard uh, College. Uh, she's a graduate of Harvard Law School. You know, as well as anybody, how tough those institutions are and how they demand economic, uh, how they demand academic excellence. She worked at some of the, you know, Morrison Foster, I think, one of the top law firms in the country. She's clerked for the best, uh, some of the best uh, judges and justices. She's, uh, she has a lifetime appointment. Uh, not only been a federal judge, she has a lifetime appointment on the D.C. Appeals Court. Her qualifications, I think, as far as qualifications go, are kind of un are, are unquestionable. It's about her judgment. And it, I don't think it's even judicial philosophy, which I do think she's a radical. I don't think that disqualifies her. What I... And look, I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I think what disqualifies her, though, is this handling of really uh, the, uh, you know, the sexual predators about the torture of, of small children and, and babies. This is definitely uh, what she's done on this. And calling it child pornography is too easy on it. If you read the documents that were withheld and what concerned me the most, and the reason we get so involved in it, she, she, they had the White House and, and, and uh, Durbin held the documents back. And I think that this makes her unqualified. I think this is going to be the most toxic vote for people like Mark Kelly in Arizona and, uh, and Masto in, uh, in Nevada, senators. Uh, and it's disgusting to me that three Republicans are voting for this. Uh, but these are disgusting Republicans. When we're talking about uh, Murkowski, we're talking uh, uh, about uh, Collins, we're, we're talking about Romney. Uh, these, are, these are rhinos of the highest order who have uh, the souls of, uh, well, I, I won't go to their souls. Uh, they just simply are, are, are nauseating people who really are unprincipled and have no business being in the Republican Party whatsoever. And the Republican Party, in my judgment, has made so many mistakes in the way in which they have treated the rhinos. I think there's a far more honest uh, bargain to be uh, be made here, uh, Steve. I, I I think it's time the Republican Party say, you know, we're not so desperate. We're going to take Democrats into the party. They haven't had the guts to do that, the principle to do that. Uh, and that's, to me, absolutely, as I said, sickening. Uh, do you disagree? Well, no. It's, it's, I, I think it gets down to something. I think one of the reasons President Trump has followed the Lou Dobbs show and Lou Dobbs is writing his columns in, in your TV show for 30 or 40 years, and I have too, and we've learned so much, as I tell you, and you're, you're too modest to say you've been the mentor of both of us when it comes to trade and manufacturing, things you've talked about that nobody else talked about on TV and certainly nobody talked about in the business press. The fundamental difference gets to be that we're economic nationalists and they're globalists. 
they're called Republicans. And I think this is a very unfair, it's, it's kind of an old, uh, in a silly way to look at it. They've opposed the policies that you've put forward for decades and decades and decades. And we saw what happened to our economic base. We saw what happened to the middle class. It got hollowed out because those are the policies of Wall Street and the corporations and the Chamber of Commerce and people you've taken on for decades. President Trump has been the first president, really, even President Reagan wasn't as strong as Trump is about manufacturing jobs and bringing jobs back and standing up to the Chinese Communist Party. And he saw everything that he had to fight. And I think in the Republican Party, we have a misalignment. The donors are clearly, vast majority of the donors are globalists, the big donors. Uh, they've right. got a, uh, an apparatus with Kevin McCarthy, McConnell, these others that do their bidding. And then you have the Trump wing of this. Now, that's 80 percent of the voters. Uh, it, but it, and it's uh, and it's a young, rising group of politicians. And that's why the next hundred days on the on the between now and in the, the middle to the end of June on these primaries is so important. You know, there's 12 uh, NBC did a special this morning. There's 12 uh, people that have defied President Trump that he's primary and called. They call them the, the, the big 12. Right. Fred Upton did resign today. So you're seeing that. But no, I think it's a fundamental uh, difference in, in, in philosophy and what the what's good for the country. And that is we are economic nationalists in America first. And if you don't have a manufacturing base, you're not going to really have an economy. And without an economy, you're not going to have a middle class. And that's the, the, the donors just disagree with that. The Larry Finks of the world, the Steve Schwartzmans, uh, the Ray Dalios, uh, the people that are big donors uh, just don't agree with that. They, they believe in the free flow of capital everywhere in the world in a, in a global labor market. And you're seeing what's happening on the southern border right now. They're really supporting it behind the scenes, just like the Democrats. Democrats want the votes. The Republicans want the cheap labor. And this is what's destroying the country. The, the destruction of America seems to me to be a priority for the, the radical Dems, uh, for the Marxist Democratic Party. Uh, and I'm, I, I frankly am calling the Marxists uh, advisedly, purposefully. I think that this is why I think this November, look, let me, let me say it differently. President Trump, and, and you know this as well as anybody, it was divine providence that was there for President Trump's victory in 16. No doubt. From behind, the greatest come from behind in, in, um, in a presidential uh, electoral history. I was a small part of that, but everybody know, you know, we, we were, uh, we were a, uh, a well, you were his creep. campaign. You were his campaign manager for crying out loud. Uh, no, no, you're talking about modesty. No, no, no. But we, look, we were fortunate to have a great candidate in divine province because to win, we focus on those states and the message resonated. People responded, and we had the greatest candidate whose energy was just incredible. That was providential. I also tell people that the big steal in 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 uh, 2020, which we fight every day to decertify these Biden electors, that is also providential. And here's why. The, 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 and you've lived in New York City. I mean, you've lived among uh, the, the power elites for all your adult life. Um, before people could have discussions and have debates, and you had, you know, I, ca I came from a democratic working class union family, but you can have debates and you can have debates. You know, people started getting heated during Vietnam, obviously, and, the, and, and, and President Reagan's policies and us, the Iraq war. But something's changed. In this election, the Democrats have turned all their cards over the table, and they are radical, radical, radical cultural Marxists combined with this kind of state capitalism that's total authoritarian, and they want to destroy the country. As we know, it. there's no doubt. So we have a chance this November, I think, from the school boards to the, to the county supervisors, state legislatures, House and Senate, I think we have a real chance if we're focused and, and, and tough as nails to destroy the Democratic Party 
as a national political institution, let it splinter into a green party with the squad and kind of a neocon, neoliberal, you know, Wall Street donor, big corporation party with the Liz Cheney's and the Hillary Clinton's. Uh, and then we have a Trump, we have a Trump Republican Party. I, I really think we have an opportunity because I think divine providence was there and showed us when they stole the election, they really showed us who they were. They thought that we were going to just quit and surrender and go home and turn the country over to them. And the MAGA movement said, absolutely no way. They fought back. Their radicalness, coupled with their incompetence, okay, is, is I think, provides us a unique opportunity. And that's why it's so important to win these primaries with Trump candidates. So then we can put our shoulder to the wheel and not just make this one of the most important elections in, in American history, not just make it the biggest midterm turnout, bigger than the Tea Party or bigger than 1952 or 1932, but really have it so we can shatter the Democratic Party up and down the ticket and, and destroy it as a national political institution. I, I sign me on to the agenda. Uh, it is to <laughs> you're, me. Hold it. You're you're on. You, you, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're on. You're one of your thought lead. No, Lou. So much of you talk about is this agenda, and I and I think it's that's why it's great, and it couldn't be better timing. You got the podcast back up. You're doing it every day of the week because uh, there's a big audience out there that needs now more than ever the fog of war and and war in Eurasia. Obviously, this this tragedy in the Ukraine, but also. You know, today there's famine in Sri Lanka and Chile. You're seeing the, the blowback from all the economic problems that the globalists have, have caused. And inflation's out of control now more than ever. You need somebody that can sit there that's been through a couple of cycles to say, okay, no need to panic, but this is the action we have to take. And if we keep drifting, and particularly drifting with these radical Democrats and, and Wall Street and the giant corporations making decisions, this country is going to be in a, uh, in, in, a, in a real deep bind that we're not going to be able to get ourselves out. It'll be a different country, and we don't have long to turn it around. Uh, we are battling uh, my old friend uh, Klaus Schwab uh, of Davos fame. He and George Soros primarily uh, across the planet, and we are watching corporate America uh, ex ex just exert all of its mighty economic power to support this little fella in Switzerland who is talking big and thinking big, and they're buying into it because it isn't called Marxism. It's called Swabism. It's called Davos. It's called one worldism, a new world order, as he puts it. Well, look, look, they, I know a place. I know a place close to your heart, Harvard. When I went to Harvard Business School, this is what was taught. It was it was the it was the West Point of globalization, and you were taught the globalization. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was no even counter to the ideology. You were just literally taught the economics of those scale, you know, about scale economies and everything about the economics of it. It was nationalism and economic nationalism. What it wasn't even considered. It's not really considered like intellectually something you spend your time on. The party of Davos's gospel, which is globalization, started in the business and law schools in the economics departments of the Ivy League universities and the London School of Economics and, 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 and the great universities in, uh, in Europe, University of Paris uh, and others. Now they've come up with this modern monetary theory. It's, it's in those business schools that in think tanks that really came up with this. That was, you know, Klaus Schwab, when they first started, it was a little get together. In, in a beautiful a ski resort in Switzerland. But he had an idea, and that idea drafted off of and leveraged off of the thought that was out there in, uh, in the business schools. And it then became McKinsey and, and mm -hmm. Booz Allen. Next thing you know, they're all retained. And the investment banks thought like this. I worked at Goldman, and Goldman at the time 
was really becoming a, a place of, of becoming from a, uh, a, a, you know, Mr. Weinberg and Mr. Whitehead that headed, co-headed the firm I was there. Mr. Weinberg, I think, had been a Marine in Guadalcanal. Mr. Whitehead had been a boat commander uh, on D-Day. Uh, and, and that, but they're very different places today. That all came out of the think tanks, the consulting firms, and particularly the business law schools and the great universities' economic departments. They dispensed with, I'm going to say, I'm going by my estimate, at least 10 million middle-class jobs over the course of the past 20 years. And they did so for labor arbitrage. They were matching up those jobs that were ripped out of America and our middle class and our economy uh, and our society and putting them in cheap labor markets, cheap foreign labor markets and benefiting. You could be a genius CEO. You could, too, could make a $100 million bonus if only you sacrificed your workers, uh, your, uh, your high-paid uh, middle managers, and threw them over to India, Romania, uh, China, uh, Vietnam, uh, and away we went. I mean, that, was, that is how brutal it was. And we saw trillions of dollars ripped out of the economy as a result. I, I, this is why, it, as tough as President Trump is, as good a businessman as he is, uh, look at, uh, at the struggles he had in implementing uh, the America First program and bringing manufacturing jobs back. I mean, Lou, you've done more than anybody talk about cut, gutting our manufacturing base and the, and the high quality jobs that we've lost that have been shipped overseas. And remember, they've been shipped essentially to the slave, uh, you know, the, the Lao Beijing, the Chinese workers are essentially mm-hmm. slaves. And, and Wall Street understands this. This is why I showed you NBC with the Roberts. They're so phony. They're preaching every night to you, virtue signaling on MSNBC. But let's be blunt. They kiss, they kiss Xi's ass over there. This disgusting genocide Olympic Games was revolting of what they did. And to know that Putin came over there with Xi and cut their strategic partnership and basically got the okay from Xi to go ahead and, and do his, uh, his land assault in the Ukraine because China is underwriting it. Just announced today that, that Xi and, and Putin have said that they want to get more engaged in the peace talks because this is their power play to control the Eurasian landmass. And this, this shows you. That the people have been warned, people know about this, the manufacturing base in this country has been shipped over essentially to China at the detriment of American workers and the American middle class. And, and the Larry Finks of the world and the Steve Schwartzman of the world, and particularly the Ray Dalias of the world, have made a fortune off this. As, the, as the, the average wage for a worker in this country has not increased since 1973, since essentially the Arab oil embargo. And, uh, and now with inflation, a family of four that makes about 60,000 bucks a year pre-tax is at Bloomberg just reports. They're going to have at least a 5,500 to a $10,000 hit because of this rampant inflation caused by uh, the hapless illegitimate Joe Biden and these fools he has at treasury and the fools he has at the, uh, at the federal reserve. And the fools at the federal reserve are doing it again. They cannot, it is not enough. Uh, that they want to raise rates in the face of highly uncertain times over the course of the next several months uh, and any move they make, including the most recent uh, 25 basis points are premature. It's that simple. We're looking at, uh, we're looking at M2 continue to expand. They will have to act, but they're, they're not thought out. They're not targeted and they are behaving as if running off the balance sheet uh, of you know, some $8 trillion in a hurry will be a good thing for the economy. It's madness. 
there we have to give a capitalist economy an, an opportunity to to reach some sort of equilibrium uh, in its markets or they there's no basis for markets to exist uh, and, and instead uh, they want to lead the markets which is another conversation for another time but it, the reality is we're going to go through some periods of instability that are not going to be uh, positive for anyone uh, ex save perhaps the bankers uh, well, I, we have an inverted yield curve, so that's always been, I think you taught me the last seven of eight uh, major recessions have always started with an inverted yield curve, so I'm going to bet the under on that. I think I think you're saying, yeah. I think we're heading towards a major recession, and unless they come back with a plan, because right now there's a more radical philosophy on Wall Street in, in Washington that people won't be honest about, it, and that is this concept of modern monetary theory that came out of these radical uh, left-wing socialist in France. I think Thomas Piketty is the is the economist from his book Capital a couple of years ago. Yep. It's a, it basically says deficits don't matter, and this is why you're now thirty trillion dollars in national debt. With we just had a trillion and a half dollar deficit uh, in, in 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 this current fiscal year. It just got passed a couple of weeks ago in the middle of the night. Uh, Twenty seven hundred pages. The Senate didn't even bother to read. They've already presented a budget. With all these lines and misrepresentations on taxes on the wealthy are just not going to happen because Joe Manchin said they're not going to happen. This has almost six trillion dollars in spending, and that means we're going to have a two to two and a half trillion dollar deficit, no matter all the lies Joe Biden says. And I just keep asking people, and Republicans particularly, show me the plan. If I was at Goldman Sachs and we were sitting there talking about financing a company that had this kind of financial model, it's not sustainable. So it would just the prime, we're not going to be the prime reserve currency, I don't think. Uh, in, 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 in the long term. It's obvious the world's trying to get alternatives to the U.S. dollars because we've weaponized the dollar, particularly against the Russian central bank and against the Russian people and the rule to have, try to have regime change. I have always been an advocate of doing that against the Chinese Communist Party, but I've always been an advocate of not doing it against anybody else. You have to take down the CCP and you have to use the dollar to do it. If you do it to other countries, and it doesn't succeed. Looks like it has failed in Russia because they have natural gas and they force everybody to buy it in rubles, which the geniuses of the Treasury and the National Security Council seem to have not considered. Uh, we're in a real jam. And if we're not the prime reserve currency, then we can't run to a three and a half and two trillion dollar deficit. It's just the math doesn't work. We become like Argentina. So we're in a jam and all the easy decisions are 10 years behind us. We have nothing but tough decisions uh, coming forward. And that's why, quite frankly, I think Donald J. Trump can't get back to the Oval Office quickly enough because this country is in a real jam. It is in a, it's a, it is in a jam. It is. We're witnessing just bald face, straight up stuff right now. We're witnessing the destruction of America unless we act. And we have a, a, a society that doesn't act anymore. It pretends uh, we have uh, it is passive. It's inert. And I'm talking about everyone from our leaders to our military uh, to corporate America, where uh, the average CEO today makes uh, about 400 times what the average worker makes uh, when, you know, 40 years ago, that ratio would have been about 20 to one. It, we have created a, a just a disgusting series of Hobson's choices for our for our leaders uh, and their predecessors in the White House, in Congress, in the Senate, in uh, in academia, uh, have just they've left us bereft of critical thinking, of vision, 
uh, and of real commitment to the way we got here. We have oligarchs running our country and not a constitutional republic, as it was envisioned by our founders. We have, without question, uh, a, a two enemies that will have the best of us if we keep plodding along uh, with, uh, I mean, we have right now Joe Biden in the White House, Steve. How in the world can the Democratic Party not be held accountable for putting Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the two top officials of this administration, the successors to Donald J. Trump, America first? I mean, it's outrageous. Well, we're paying the price for it. Elections have consequences, Lou, and stolen elections have catastrophic consequences. And the country's going through a catastrophe in every aspect, from the invasion of the southern border to the economy to geopolitically, culturally. uh, We're in a crisis where I think this is the greatest crisis in the history of the republic. And that includes the revolution, includes the civil war, it includes the Great Depression, World War II. This is by far the greatest crisis the country's ever had. And it's going to take patriots and it's going to take every day. You're going to have to dedicate your life to turning this around. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough, but it's doable. It's it's doable if we do it now. We can't wait. And you have to take action immediately. If you wait, the country's done. So as, as I, I look at what is happening in, in this administration, we have a Supreme Court justice who will not define woman uh, before the Judiciary Committee to get their support to be reported out to the full Senate for confirmation. We find out that the Biden administration has five departments now that refuse to use the word women. This is, this is beyond Orwellian. It's beyond 1984 animal farm. This is the stuff of a new Marxist nightmare in which words uh, are, are now uh, weapons. Uh, and if they indeed are weapons for truth, they simply dispense them. How is it that we can have a government that removes the word women? Uh, it, it does give me a sense, though, of what toxic masculinity, masculinity finally, I understand it finally. It would take toxic <laughs> masculinity to destroy women, uh, whether it is uh, through the Title IX that they, with, uh, you know, uh, uh, trans uh, being permitted to compete against women, which is outrageous in any sport, and take women. Now we're stripping them uh, of their very name. But but this is Mao's. This is what Mao did. This is what the Bolsheviks did. This is really what the Nazis did. But the Bolsheviks, the French Revolution, the Bolsheviks, and Mao Zedong are all inextricably linked. And the key was to destroy the family. You destroy the n- nuclear family. You destroy the church or any type of religious institutions around it. You destroy the relationship between parent and child. Uh, the state inter- intervenes there, and you do it by totally, you know, turning the world into anarchy and chaos, and particularly in their own personal lives. You see this going on. It's a pretty straightforward playbook. I think it's very powerful. They have their hands on the lever of powers, including these massive institutions in American life, and that's what the fight is. One of the things that the that the libertarians and the in the in the even the Republicans, all the deregulation and tax cuts to the corporations, we've created this Frankenstein monster, the, the, the massive corporations that are really in bed with big government. So big business, the oligarchs of Silicon Valley, Wall Street, the globalist corporations in business with big government has created a, a, a system here that now is really anti-traditional Americanism and anti-traditional the American Republic. And this is the fight before us. 
and it's a big fight, and it's going to take a look. As tough as Donald Trump is, it was a big fight for him. And, uh, you know, he's coming back for round two. But it's a it's I can tell you from being in the White House and then following this closely uh, afterwards, this is a tough fight. And it's going to need to be all hands on deck. And we have to have everybody on the same page this time. So we got a big fight in front of us against a lot of tough hombres who are not going to back off. And their and their ideas are radical. If you really look at these, they're radical ideas. When a when a graduate of Harvard College, a graduate of Harvard Law School, with her academic qualifications and how she's excelled throughout her entire life. When uh, Senator Blackburn asked her a basic question, can you define a woman? And her response is, I'm not a biologist, biologist. You know the country's in, 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 in deep trouble. Um, and when three Republicans vote to confirm her, uh, the country's in deep trouble. It's deep trouble because we've, we've cut loose of our moorings of the Judeo-Christian West, and we're in a very different, strange land. And that's where we got to fight and we got to turn this thing around and, and get back to the America we know and love. In, in talking with President Trump uh, for the for the interview, uh, he said something that I think people, I, I hope, are paying great attention to. He believes without question that the greatest danger to this republic is from within, uh, that there are, as he put it, very dangerous people who mean to take over this country and mean to turn away our constitutional republic, uh, to turn away our uh, our concepts of democracy, and what it means to be American. Uh, that, to me, is chilling. When a man who's gone through what he's gone through has emerged standing up, and no one knows better the forces arrayed against him, whether it's the deep state, the permanent bureaucracy, the Marxist of the Democratic Party, uh, the indoctrinators of our educational system, universities and colleges, uh, he has been, I mean, the United States military for crying out loud, he is commander in chief could not, could not count on their, uh, support. Uh, and I think he would have settled for just their lack of opposition would have been a fair balance, but it wasn't. Uh, so I, I, I don't know how we get this thing straightened around. I, I'm going to tell you, when, when I have a guy, when the, chairman, when the chairman of the joint chiefs, who's had a storied, uh, uh, career in the army and a graduate of Princeton University, takes it upon himself to reach out to the PLA, the People's Liberation Army senior commander, to talk to him about, oh, you know, don't worry about what happened on, uh, on, uh, on, on January 6th. Uh, we're in control. You don't have to worry. There's not going to be any nuclear strikes. It is, to me, that is not just insubordination. I think that's treason. And uh, I think it's shocking. Uh, it's been exposed by Woodward and, and, and Costa in their book. Nobody denied it. Uh, I think it's one of the first hearings we have to have when we take back over uh, after November. It's extremely scary uh, yeah. what's going on. And this is the military chain of command. It's the national security apparatus. It's the intelligence community. You know, people call it the deep state. I say it's nothing deep about it. It's up in your face every day. Look at the 42 uh, senior intelligence officials that signed a letter uh, to, 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 uh, to Trump that went to immediately went to the New York Times saying that uh, that uh, the, the hard drive from hell, the laptop from hell of Hunter Biden, which I was proud of being one of the people that uh, that worked on that project to get it released by the New York Post, said that it was Russian disinformation. And Joe Biden stood in front of the American people at a debate and lied to their face. Yeah. When this was obviously the New York Post, who are pretty tough, smart people, checked it out. This was an actual laptop with Hunter Biden's real materials that was delivered to Chris Ray, the head of the FBI, 
and to Bill Barr at DOJ in December of 2019. They had this thing almost for nine months when we gave it to the New York Post. And to know that almost two years later, right, or a year and a half later, the New York Times and the Washington Post are now deemed to say, yes, uh, War Room was right. Remember, we're taking down off Twitter because my co-host, Jack Maxey, kept putting up all the stuff that's put, coming out now in the, in the mainstream media. We, we were putting that up in September, in October of 2020. Yeah. And at the time, they said this is Russian disinformation. They took us down from Twitter because of that. Uh, it shows you how these tech oligarchs, big corporations, the deep state, uh, and, uh, and the Democratic Party and big media work together. I mean, it's obviously they're working in inclusion with each other. It's obvious. It's, it's, it's the, the, you don't even have to be that sophisticated to connect the dots. That's what when President Trump sits in with Donald J. Trump, who had to face off the mullahs in Iran, Erdogan in Turkey, Putin in Russia, Xi in China, and in uh, uh, many me in uh, in North Korea, when he had to face the the, war, the worst group of gangsters ever to work together on the, in the history of the planet, when Donald Trump had to work face those guys down to keep the peace in the Gulf, in Eastern Europe, in the South China Sea, and up there in the in the Korean Peninsula. When Donald Trump can look those gangsters and then turn around and tell Lou Dobbs, by the way, our biggest problem, our biggest enemies are internal United States. People in the United States are understand something. We have some big enemies here in this country, okay? Because exactly. Trump, exactly. Trump has faced an all-star team of, uh, of gangsters and yeah. stared them down. And to know that he would sit there and say that shows you the depth of the problem we have. You know, and I, I've said this for some time, that uh, Donald Trump is, is the only a man I know who could have possibly uh, contested with these dark forces. Uh, they may be uh, and are clearly in your face, but they are also operating in shadows as well and lurking almost. And I can't think of an institution that is untouched by their, their evil. I really can't, uh, whether it be the church, uh, whether it be government, whether it be academia, uh, the military, uh, you name it. Uh, these forces are arrayed, and we have to contend in, in a far more vigorous fashion. And we can't make it past November if we don't if we don't take the House and the Senate back and literally impeach Biden in our first act in in, this, in January of 2023. You're not going to have a country. You're, you're not going to have a country that you recognize. You're going to have a country that's uh, that's um, the school system has nothing but the Disney type of philosophy in it. You're going to have an economy that's out of control. The oligarchs make money and the people are nothing but serfs. You're going to have five or six million illegal aliens come into the country this year. You're not going to recognize the United States of America. And the people that are going to be crushed the most are working class Hispanics and African-Americans. They are nothing. Just like the people in Ukraine are cannon fodder to the EU, NATO, and to the Russians, the, the people, the working class in this country are cannon fodder to the globalists. And so it, it can, if it goes, if we don't take back control of the House, and I mean by overwhelming majorities right. in the Senate, if we don't get to 55 seats, and if the House, I keep saying, we have to get to 60, 70, 80, 100 seats, something that could go a decade before it could be reversed at least yeah. and essentially destroy the Democratic Party. And we, it has to be destroyed. And I mean this, the Democratic Party, without violence, but at the ballot box, it has to be destroyed as a national political institution from school boards the county supervisors, the town councils, all the way to state legislatures, uh, the governorships, the secretaries of state, DAs, local DAs, House and Senate, and eventually to restore Trump to the presidency um, in, 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 20, in 2024, if not sooner. And I don't care if Jamie Raskin and Benny Thompson and, 
Liz Cheney, hate when I say that, right? They're, they're just going to have to live with it. This election was a stolen. Joe Biden is illegitimate. The nation, uh, the nations of the world, the Chinese Communist Party, which I am the only civilian in the history of this republic to be sanctioned by, four minutes into the Biden administration, <laughs> along with Mike Pompeo and Matt Pottinger and Peter Navarro, and I'm proud of that. Uh, I can tell you, and I know this from well-placed sources inside of China, which I know very well, they have no respect for Biden. They have no respect for Blinken. They have no respect for uh, for uh, Jake Sullivan. And the reason is they don't think Biden's legitimate. They know what's on the hard drive in the laptop from hell. Hell, they yeah. gave Hunter Biden the money. They honeypotted Hunter Biden. They know everything about the Biden crime family. They do not take him seriously. They think they're a minor league group of uh, of mafia-type gangsters. And this is a situation we have right now because the Democratic Party and the media, Zuckerberg, the oligarchs in Silicon Valley and, uh, and other media, uh, you know, put this guy in office illegitimately. And this is the problem. This is what we're dealing with. Yeah. And uh, today uh, we all witnessed the return of Barack Obama to the White House. Uh, people may forget that uh, it was rumored that this would be the third term of Barack Obama, the Biden presidency. Uh, and as I saw him uh, standing up there with Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden, uh, respectfully, uh, several paces uh, to his right and behind, I thought, my God, they aren't here to celebrate Obamacare. They're here to celebrate his upcoming uh, term uh, They for all the world. Steve, it looked to me like they were rehearsing with uh, Obama back at the lectern. And his former vice president, who he referred to as his vice president for crying out loud, uh, without even blushing, there wasn't a blush on Joe Biden's face when he did that. Uh, me, me, me. We were, were reminded of what a narcissistic person he is, Mr. Obama. 33 times he used the first person reference. Uh, who, don't you miss that level of narcissism? Uh, it's, we've got we've got, we've got quaint dementia and, uh, uh, and an extraordinary power surging uh, narcissism in his predecessor. Uh, his predecessor. The, the thing the thing that was most disturbing is the Biden Biden was just wandering around. Yeah. I mean, there were all the groupies were up there, you know, praising Obama around the lectern. They couldn't get enough of it, and Joe Biden's just wandering around, nothing to do. This is what's scary. He's he's got the nuclear codes. He's the commander in chief, supposedly. It's 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 very scary. This is why I think the American people are coming to the fact that, you know, down yeah. in Mar-a-Lago tonight, Dave Bossie is premiering the film Rigged. And President right. Trump's going to be in this President Trump's in the film about how Zuckerberg put four hundred million dollars in yep. to steal the election. One of many ways it was stolen. But this is what happens when you have a stolen election. You have catastrophic consequences. We have a hapless, reckless, uh, feckless, radical uh, old man who doesn't obviously have all his composure with and Kamala Harris, who, you know, right now, the American people, I think 57% of the American people today do not think she should be president. So we're, we're in a jam. We're in a jam. You not only have uh, this hapless administration that between its radicalness and its haplessness is just driving America to the ground. You actually have these institutions that are very incentivized to really destroy the country as we know it. And this is where the big fight's going to be. President Trump's right. The bigger enemies we have are internal right now. Uh, I, I don't know how many people have seen, just to put a capstone on this, if I may, Steve, Joe Biden, uh, with his wife next to him in uh, what appear to be tennis shoes uh, and sweatpants, 
uh, at the christening of uh, a nuclear submarine, our newest nuclear submarine, with all of the officers and men behind them in absolute dress blues, which you wore uh, with great distinction yourself. Uh, I, I mean, I wanted, I, I could not imagine what in the world he was doing. He was kneeling in front of that picture with the, all of those officers in their turned out in their finest and his wife in her sneakers uh, and uh, short pants. I don't know what you would call them uh, sneakers. I, I mean, sneakers. And I guess uh, there's some sort of uh, exercise clothes. It was absolutely embarrassing and humiliating. And for those officers to stand there at attention, uh, it was just so disrespectful. And this man is so he is, I, 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 we've never had a president like this, a president who just simply does not belong. Forget the question of whether he's fit. He's not, he doesn't belong there and he needs to be, uh, onto something better suited for him. Don't you agree? I uh, a thousand percent agree. The, the, the photo being a former Naval officer, it's so shocking. I assume he was trying to do the black lives matter kneel. Um, I almost hope that was it. And as disgusting, as disgraceful as that is, it'd be better. I have no idea what he was doing. I don't think the officers did. It was, it was in the annals of this country. And remember the first head of our army became the first commander in chief president of Washington. Right. To think of the leaders we've had, even civilians who became great war leaders like Abraham Lincoln, like FDR, like Ronald Reagan, and then you think of the military commanders had the presidents like Grant and Eisenhower and others. It is a naval officer. It was, and it's, it, look, it's a fleet ballistic missile submarine. It is the most uh, valued, uh, you know, a, a weapon system we have, even greater than an aircraft carrier, about deterrence to keep the American people safe. And, and the nuclear power engineering from Admiral Rickover's days down to the present are just the elite of the elite, the creme de la creme of the academy, right. the RTC programs. I mean, this is the finest, and the pressure they're under for these nuclear things is it's just incredible. To see that, it's almost breathtaking. You sit there and go, is he, is he, it, you can't, it's bad and is as, as disgusting as him kneeling for the Black Lives Matter situation. I almost hope that's it because there's a twisted mind that's something. Other than that, I have no idea what he was doing. I, I've, I've looked yeah. at that photo. I don't want to say for hours, but I'm so gobsmacked. I have so many former naval officers, friends and colleagues have called me and go, how can you, when you have the South China Sea in play and you have the, the Chinese Navy that's already planning for an amphibious assault onto Taiwan with the seventh fleet, the revered and historic seventh fleet to beat the Japanese in World War II, island by island uh, from Midway all the way, you know, all the way to, 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 to the, the bombing of, uh, of uh, Tokyo and then the, the nuclear weapon, to know that that fleet has someone like Joe Biden in charge of it, is it boggles the imagination. Yeah. It just yeah. boggles the imagination. And our enemies are laughing at us. They're laughing at us. They're laughing at us right now. And Trump has told us this. And, he, and you know, Trump is, President Trump is sitting there, I think he just shakes his head because it's so yeah. incredible. And this is what happens when you have stolen elections. Well, American people didn't get a chance to vet this guy. This is what, this is what you get. I, I couldn't help but think that Obama in the White House was a rehearsal uh, for, the, uh, for the near future. And I couldn't help but think when I looked at that uh, picture uh, of Biden kneeling uh, that 
it was a secret signal to Xi Jinping. Uh, and I don't want to think about too much the implications of that. Uh, but uh, I fear the worst. And I think everybody in this country right now should should fear the worst and be preparing to to change the arc of history from what both Obama and Biden and Kamala Harris and the cabal that manages them day to day uh, have in mind for us. I think we need to surprise them, and I need I think we need to surprise them this year. And I hope uh, everyone listening will consider this plea. Please get engaged in your local elections as a poll watcher, whatever it takes, but be engaged and be vigilant, and let's return this country to what we all recognize as America. Steve, we have a, a tradition, as you know, in this show of always giving our guests the last word. Take it away, if you would, please. I love the Lou Dobbs show, and I'm glad Lou's back from off the beach. I'm glad Deb <laughs> getting back to work. Me too. Lou's back in the fight and at the at the, one of the thought leaders in the country, and uh, I think everybody can't thank you enough, Lou, but it's great to, to watch and listen to your show, and it's great to, uh, it's great to participate. Steve Bannon, it's great to, to call you friend, and I thank you so much for being with us here. Uh, always, uh, always great talking with you, and I always learn something. We thank you so much for all you do for the country, uh, and God bless you. Thanks again to Steve Bannon, a good friend and an absolutely tireless warrior for conservatives everywhere, a great American. Thank you for being with us today. Coming up this week, one of the smartest congressmen on Capitol Hill, Daryl Issa. Documentary producer David Bossy on his latest blockbuster on the 2020 election entitled Rigged. What else would it be named? And fierce conservative, great American congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene and author of Obstruction of Justice, Luke Rosiak and former commissioner of the Customs and Border Patrol, Mark Morgan on what may soon materialize as the largest mass illegal immigrant influx across our southern border in our country's history. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. God bless you, and God bless America.